I just wanted you to hear that one phrase for all that clip. No one goes to hell because of Satan. We go to hell because of sin. And so it's really important that we look at this. And yes, we so often come back to this topic, but it's because it's so prevalent in us, even as believers. And so let's come to God's Word, and let's find our encouragement in God's Word as we come to Colossians. So we continue in our studies this morning, Colossians chapter 3. We are making progress. Colossians chapter 3, and this, this morning we're in verses 1 to 11. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Unlike a gas which can disperse itself in all magnetic directions all at once, us humans can only go in one direction at a time, right? It's a physical law. And so, the real, what is the reality that you've set your compass on in life? You can only go in one direction at a time. In which direction have you set your spiritual compass? Your spiritual compass on life with Christ for eternity, or has your spiritual compass swayed to temporary life? That's basically where this passage is going. How do we know where my compass is? There's a big giveaway in our lives. How do we deal with sin in our lives? That's what we look at. Do we tolerate it or do we make war on sin in our lives? You see, when Jesus Christ saved you and I, he did not just give us a modified life built on the old foundation. That's what religion teaches. But Christ brought his wrecking ball against our lives. He gave us brand new identities. He gave us a brand new life on a brand new foundation in him. So it's not just your old life with new clothes on. You see, the false teachers in the Colossi church 
were teaching the church that toleration of sin is okay so long as you keep to your religious duties. As long as you're religious, then live as you want to live. Why were they doing this? Because the same attitude was around them in that society as the same attitude is around in our society today. You see, people were attending to heathen temple worshipping. And so every day people would attend the temple of Diana or Artemis. And they go through their religious rituals. And when they're done, they went home and they carried on with life as normal. In other words, your worship had no influence on your lifestyle. And this attitude is fully accepted by society as normal. As it is today. And so in those days, a man would go from his home, he'd worship at the temple. Part of the temple worship was participating in sex orgies with temple prostitutes. It was seen as part of what they did. And then you'd go home to your own family and your own wife. It was normal. I'd go to the temple, I'd worship an idol, and then I'd carry on with life as normal, worshipping the idol of myself and what I want. You see that today, and many people coming to church, and when I've done church, tick, and now I can carry on with life as normal. You catch yourself doing the same. You see, this attitude was starting to bring disunity in the Colossi church. And so the Apostle Paul speaks about it, and he raises it in this way. He says, if you've been raised with Christ. Now this if isn't a questioning your faith if. It's not if you're a Christian. This if is, since you are a Christian, now live in this way. Since you are, since you've been raised with Jesus Christ, now live in the following way. The fact that you've been born again. He's speaking to believers in the church. You've been born again. He's not saying make sure you're born again. He's saying you are born again. You've been raised with Jesus Christ. Now live like Christ followers. Your faith must make a difference to your life every day. So how is it to do that? He gives us very clear indications this morning. And I want you to track here with me. The first one is seek. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Literal translation is be constantly seeking the things which are above. That's supposed to be our constant mindset. If you know anything about uh, missiles, in the front of a missile is a little eye, it's cameras and sensors and radar. And when Someone wants to use a missile, they shoot it off, and immediately go, it goes into seeking mode. It seeks various things. It could seek an infrared trail. Heat-seeking missiles do that. And so they'll track an aircraft through the, the heat that it's generating. And there are various other ways. I'm not going to go into the technical stuff now. We're not here about that. But it's a heat-seeking missile. It's actively seeking a source of heat. It doesn't matter if it's enemy or if it's friendly 
If there's heat, the missile will go for it. That's the seeking um, we're talking about here. It's a constantly seeking. What? The things that are above. Heavenly things. The internally important things. As contrasted to the earthly things. You see, these false teachers were saying, what's important is what's on this earth. Forms of worship. Last week, rules about worship. Regulations, what to wear, what not to wear, what to eat, what not to eat. They were saying that's the important thing. But we saw last week, those are earthly things. Paul's saying here, no, seek the things which are above. Different things, different location. Set your life objective on these heavenly things. Spend your resources lent to you by God on these things. The heavenly things. Be seeking them. Why? Because that is where Christ is. Do you love Jesus Christ? Then be seeking the things that are with Jesus Christ. The things that are important to Jesus Christ. The heavenly things. Because that is where Christ is. Where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated in the executive seat with the Father. The seat of power. The power and authority have been given to Jesus Christ to do what He is doing. What has He done? He's made a way back to the Father. And when He cried on the cross, it is finished. And He gave up His soul. That work was done. But he hasn't finished his work. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing now? He's building his kingdom. And when his kingdom is completely built, Jesus Christ will return. And he will claim all those who belong to that kingdom. And he will come as judge those who have not bowed the knee. And so this is a reminder to you and I. Seek those things which are where Christ is. At the right hand of the Father. Why? Because if you and I are believers, we are in Christ. He is in us. In other words, we are inextricably bound to Jesus Christ. So how can I be bound to Christ and yet my life is being lived on this earth with things looking for things on this earth? We try and live in that way, we ha- we're going to suffer from split personality syndrome. You're going to be torn in two. The apostle says, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and seek those things which are hidden with Christ in God. Those are the things we are to set our minds on. We are one with Christ. And the problem is with you and I, and I'm speaking to me too, we know these things, and so quickly my feet tend to go the other way. You don't seem to be bothered by this. Are you bothered by your spirit supposed to be going one way, but your feet tracking another way? You see, so quickly we get caught up with the attitudes of this world. Very quickly. We start thinking like this world. Why? Because we spend such a lot of time investigating the things of the world. Facebook, 
Instagram. We quickly get to the same cares as the world. We're going to the same worry, lockdown mode. And we start being torn in two by, the, by these opposing interests. They don't work in parallel. They work in opposition. And what happens then? We're rendered completely ineffective as believers. Because I say I'm a believer. I say I believe in Jesus Christ. But when people look at my life, they see me worrying the same as them. And I live the same as them. With my attitudes. And so my witness is gone. How do we overcome this, says the apostle? There's a second action word here. It's the word set. Seek the things of Christ. Now set your minds. You see, when a missile finds a source of heat, the next thing that happens, it locks on that object. It locks. And then it's really difficult to get rid of it. You're nearly as good as dead. Because it's very hard to get it to unlock from you. And that's why they have all kinds of maneuvers to try and get it to unlock. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. You see, it's a deliberate setting of my mind. If you don't deliberately set your mind on the things of Christ, your mind will drift to the things around you and go where your eyes are going. And when your eyes are going on the things of this world, guess what's next? Your feet will follow. Because they're inextricably linked. Control center, action center. And there they go. Set your minds on things above. On things which are important to Jesus Christ, not what's important to people. Society wants us to listen to what society is saying and to make that important. That's why we've got referendums happening in the way they are now. Are we going to set our minds on the things of Christ by the way we interact with that referendum coming up? Are we going to make decisions which are important to Jesus Christ and not important to society as it now perceives right and wrong? What is important to Jesus Christ? Your relationship, firstly, to Him. Secondly, your personal holiness in your walk before Him. And thirdly, your obedience to His commands. What's important to Jesus? Relationship to Him. Personal holiness before Him. And obedience to His commands. What was important to the heretics? Going through the forms of worship. Eat this. Don't do that. Don't wear that. Be circumcised. Worship through this angel. All these things you see, says the Apostle, would pass away as shadows of a far greater reality of true worship of Jesus Christ. A heart set on Christ alone. Why is the Colossian Christians only hope in Christ? Because when Christ, says our text, appears, everything not of eternal value will be stripped away, and then the true worth of being with Christ in glory will be made plain. You see, when Christ reappears, everything unimportant, everything non-eternal will be burnt and stripped away. And only what is in Him will remain. And so the Apostle says to us, 
in a today's lingo, major on the major, not on the minor in everyday things. Major on those things which are with Christ and in Christ. Set your minds on those things and be constantly looking for them. Now, how do we do that in practice? You see, when your mind is set on the things of Christ, and when you're constantly searching for the things of Christ, guess what's going to happen in your life? Sin's going to be exposed. That's the way it works. The holier you get before the Lord in your mindset and your walk, the more sin is exposed. And so what does the apostle say? What must you do with that sin now? Slay it. I had to find another S. He says, put it to death. Now, the framework around this is it's not human effort. I can only bring my sins before the Lord, right? And at the cross, Jesus takes those sins away and his blood washes over my life and he makes me clean. Yes, we believe that. That's the framework. But in every single in everyday life, we put to death sin in our lives. It's the practical application of what Jesus Christ does in our lives. It's the strangling to death any little symptom of sin in my life. Don't give it air to breathe so that it can't live. Don't feed the sin because it will grow. That's what he's speaking about. The everyday application. Slay it. Destroy the strength in your sin. What is it? He says, therefore destroy what is earthly in you. What is earthbound in you. What is still part of your earthly nature. Now, we'll explain this a little bit later in verse 9. But what he's speaking about here is, he says, when you become a Christian, you get a brand new nature, right? Yes, we get a brand new nature. But did I get a new heavenly body? No. I'm still bound to this earthly body until the Lord appears or I die. So I've still got the old model here. And the problem with the old model is those things which tempt and those things which want to sideline me, they all originate in the sinful body of mine. Now, that doesn't mean this is an evil thing. This is also the temple of the Lord and I need to look after it, right? But it is the earthly part of me. That still remains. One day when Jesus Christ reappears, I'm going to get a brand new heavenly body. And it's going to be free of sin. But until then, I've got to make do with this one. And unfortunately, this old model body, is, it's, it's high maintenance, man. Because it, it like absorbs sin. It's sin by kilometer rating is really high. I've got to keep on coming back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I've messed up again. Please forgive me. I was led astray by this. I ate too much of this. Constantly battling. It's this body of mine. It's not my new nature. Your new nature is secure in Jesus Christ. Don't ever link your new nature to what the old body does. Because that will dishearten you. Your, old, your new nature is secure in Jesus Christ. It was a once-for-all transaction that happened. You have a new nature. A miracle took place. But now live with the old body until Jesus Christ comes. 
And how do you do that? You've got to put to death anything you find that it does, that it keeps wanting to go back to. Those earthly temptations, those wrong things. Put them to death, says the apostle. Take drastic action. Strangle the life out of those things. And then strip them off and shove them away from you. Don't hold on to those dirty rags. Shove them away, he says in verse 8. Put them away. Put them off you. What things? If you want to get specific, here they come. Sexual immorality. What's he speaking about? I'm sure you all know. It's not just speaking about physical immorality. He's speaking about your thought life too. Where do your thoughts go when it comes to this specific area? You see, in the days of the Colossi Christians, every man was a three-woman man. Temple prostitute or two, slave at home and wife. That's the way society went. And it was normal. Sexual immorality was rife. In our context, you don't even have to think how that goes these days. People meet each other, next thing they're in bed. Then they get to know their names. Maybe it's just on TV. I don't think so, though. Our thought lives. Impurity is the next one you see. It's tied up with this. Where do, where do your thoughts go? And it's not just about sexual temptation. Any thoughts that aren't dedicated and put under Jesus Christ are impure thoughts. Passion. Improper and overindulgence on needs and wants. Evil desires. Everything that's me-centered is evil. Evil desires. Covetousness. I never have enough. I'm always looking around. I know. Which is idolatry, says Scripture. It's putting an idol in the place of Christ. Because I always want more. It's me. Verse 8. Anger. And this anger is a brooding anger. It's one where you're thinking, you've been thinking too long about this. You can see it. And then it breaks out into wrath. That's talking about that violent outburst of anger. And yes, you might be in your vehicle speaking about the person in front of you. It's still listed as a sin. doesn't matter what they did. Malice, thinking evil thoughts about others. And then it goes one step further, turning it into reality by speaking that evil about other people. Slander. And yes, it's even done in the best prayer meetings. Under the guise of, we need to pray for slander. Obscene talk. If you're involved in a workplace, it doesn't take long. One with the boys or the girls, they all do their own thing. Evil talk, obscene talk, empty prattle, whether that's virtual, online or not. It's part of it. The Bible lists all these things which are lurking in us. And my friend, none of us is immune. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I've looked through all those and none of, this are in, of those are in me, you're kidding yourself. Several of those are in every single one of us. If not, you're in denial. They're in every single one of us. And so we need to put these things away from us, starve the life out of them. Why? Because God is returning as judge 
to judge those very things. That's what our text says, verse 6. Because this is the way we used to walk, says our text. How can we walk like this again? Why pander again to the old nature stuff? As if you're still controlled by your old nature, verse 7. Put it off. Push it away. Don't feed those sins. Not even a little bit. Starve them. Don't tolerate them. Put them to death. You get where I'm going? I find a discrepancy in life, you see. And please, I'm handling this as sensitively as I can. You hear you've got cancer. What do we do? We go into action mode, don't we? You're in that doctor's office and you get that note or that word from him and you hear that word, cancer. We go into action mode. My whole life is put on hold. Everything is now orientated to getting rid of this thing. No? Because it's life-threatening to me. And yet, cancer only kills my body. Why don't we have the same attitude to a disease which eats away at my soul, which is an everlasting thing? Do you see the discrepancy? I'll come back to that in our application. Verse 9, the apostle highlights something else. There was something happening in the church. They were starting to, be, to lie to each other, believer to believer. They were coming to church services. How are you going, going today? Yeah, they're all good. And they start having those conversations, and they're starting to lie to each other. Why? It was the work of these false teachers. These false teachers are trying to split up the church, divide and conquer. It's a very old Roman technique. Satan uses it, and he's pre-Roman. How, do, how did they try and divide them? By trying to influence and pressure them to accept falsities. And some were falling for this temptation, and falling for the pressure, and listening to the false teachers, and others weren't. They were standing up to it, and recognizing it. And so there was this war starting to happen between believers. And some were covering up that they'd started believing the, the, this, these new teachings. And others were openly practicing these new teachings. I saw you in the market the other day. You were eating pork. No, I wasn't. I was at the new Sabbath meeting. What? Oh, sorry. You see, they were starting to trick each other and lie to each other. And that isn't part of the kingdom of God, is it? And so the apostle reminds him in verse 9, you have put off that old self. Yes, you've still got those lingering effects. Now push them away from you. The old self is a monument to death. It will eventually be destroyed. Why do you allow the effects of it, including lying, to influence you in this way? Why do you allow your besetting sins to drain so much of your energy and to bring division amongst you? Put off that old self. Push it away from you. You don't want anything to do with it because you've got a new self, the once and for all put on new self, which is, he says in verse 10, being renewed after the image of its creator. I love this. Old self with lying and deceiving and all those other things, that is tied to this earth and it's going to die. 
goes, it's over. But the new self is being renewed after the image of its creator. The new self here is the word neos, which is the new man. And that includes you ladies, by the way. It's a collective man. The new man made in the image of its creator. Who was that? The second person of the Trinity who was involved at the work of creation way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Let us create man in our image. Do you see where it goes back to? Now, when I get the new nature in Jesus Christ, he says to me, my new nature is being renewed daily. Every single day, I'm being rejuvenated is the word. Made new in Christ. And I'm being made, remade new and newer and newer and newer until I'll be made perfect like Jesus Christ. Do you look forward to that day? I look forward to that day when I don't have to struggle against myself. Your new nature is a being made new nature. It's being renewed. And when my body dies... This part of me will go, but my nature will still continue into eternity with Jesus Christ. I look forward to that. You see, it's my future investment. And that's why I need to be spending all my time and energy and all my resources that have been given to me in this new investment of mine, in my new nature. And in doing what my new nature is required to do. In looking to Jesus Christ, in fixing my eyes on Him, and constantly looking for the truth which is in Him. And if that happens, says the Apostle Paul, you will no longer be split up, you church. You are one in Christ. Verse 11. You see, in the church of the day, remember where they were geographically? The Colossi church was near a crossroads. We did that right in, 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 the, one, in the first sermon we did. They were situated on a crossroad. Lots of travel happened in there. And so the people who made up the church were made up of Jews, Gentiles. Gentiles, anyone not a Jew. It was made up of Scythians. The, the worst form, if, if you were a Greek, the worst form of barbarian there is. What, who was a barbarian? Anyone not taught in the Greek way of thinking? You're a Okay. Welcome. Barbarians. And the worst form of barbarian was Scythians. <laughs> Vile, uneducated. Well, they made part a part of the congregation. And who else was there? Slaves and free. There were slaves traveling for their masters, and they'd been born again, and so they were making up part of this church. There were Romans who were part of this church. There were slave masters who were part of this church. They were a real mixed bag. And so the apostle says to them, Yes, you are a mixed bag, but none of these diversities should become a high point from which I take pot shots at someone else. Just because you've been educated in the Greek education system doesn't mean I can now stand on that and take pot shots at someone who's uneducated. Just because I'm a Jew doesn't mean I can take pot shots at someone who's not a Jew. Why? Because we are in Christ and He is in us. Christ is all, says verse 11, and in all. If you become a believer, all these differences are pushed aside. He is the one in whom we exist. And that's why 
our diversity is no longer something which comes second. It is a strength to us. Why? Because it's a public witness. Look what Christ can do with us, mixed bag of people. Look at us. He can make us one. He can make us all united in Him. We are made in His image. When we are made in His image, our diversity should become invisible. Because Christ is visible. What do we do with this? Here's my so what's this morning. Now you need to pay attention to the first one. And I brought my hammer. It's right here. It's a big one. Oh, feather duster. First one is this. He says, deal to sin. You see, the problem is when we have sin in our lives, we use one of these three implements. There are some sins in my life that I'd rather just paint over the same color because I really don't want anyone to see them, but I don't want to get rid of them either. And so kind of to take them out of my attention, I'm going to paint them so that they're there. I don't know what's in your life. I know what's in mine. Some of the sins, I, they're my favorite ones. I really don't want to get rid of them. I don't want them, but I really don't want to get rid of them. And so I use the feather duster. Just lightly take the dust off. But I don't want them out of my life. Come on, people. It's not just me. We've got to deal with these things. You see, the Bible says this is the implement we're supposed to use against sin. This one. Hammer sin out of your life. How do we do that? There's another tool that I couldn't bring here, but I've got some here. My knees. I get down on my knees. And I ask the Lord to hammer those sins out of my life. The feather duster out of my hands and the paintbrush out of my other hand. And allow me to be exposed to the reality of what those things are before Jesus Christ. To give me the eyes that see like Jesus sees. And who is Jesus? God, who can't tolerate sin. Help us, Lord. Give us the same eyes to see those things in our lives which need to be gotten rid of. Save me from tolerating those sins and making little of them and calling them pet names. Take them from me, Lord. And then secondly, walk where you're seated. I know it sounds funny, but listen, walk. Where are you seated? Are you seated with Christ in glory? Nature? Then walk as a Christ follower. Walk where you're seated. Follow Christ in every day. How do we do that? We're going to carry on next week. Looking at verse 12 to 16. 
And what you'll see in verses 12 to 16 are the graces that God gives. So how are we to be Christ followers? How are we to deal with sin? We are to crowd sin out of our lives by God's graces. So that there's no more place for that sin in our lives. Verses 12 to 16. Go and read through them this week. As I hope you allow God to use this passage in you. And see what God highlights in your life and in mine. And let's come back prepared for what God is going to do in our lives through His grace. So I want to repeat the first three verses here. Colossians 3, 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on those things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Do your work among your church, I pray. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, help us, because this is the crucial part of the walk before you. It's the application of your word. It's allowing your spirit to deal with the sin in our lives. It's letting go of those things we'd rather hold on to. Lord, help us to see the danger we're in. That our mortal souls are immortal. That those things we, sh we think are going to stay with us are in actual fact going to die. And we will continue to be living with you in eternity. Help us, Lord. To get rid of sin in our lives. And to hold on to what's important. To set our eyes on the, those things. And then our feet will follow in the ways which please you. But Lord, we need your help and your grace. Because we are just weak human beings. Help us now through your spirit. And Lord, as the world around us sees that you are changing our lives. They too will be drawn to your son, Jesus Christ. And we'll want to know, how can I live in a way which pleases this God who you love so much? Show me. And then we can witness about you. Help us, we pray. Amen.